mainstream media and the Biden administration, Jake Sullivan himself, and also NATO's general secretary, Stoltenberg, the French general secretary of NATO, they all came out with this rumor that China was going to supply, there was a rumor that China was going to supply military weaponry to Russia in its operation against Ukraine. There was no source backing this up. It was, quote unquote, a report, as it was constantly named. And of course, whenever you see things like a report or anonymous officials saying something, it usually just means U.S. intelligence, or it means that it's just made up out of whole cloth, regardless of where the actual source of the information is coming from. But generally, almost 99.9%, it's intelligence. It's U.S. intelligence. And so there was this deliberate move to almost arrest the talks, to sabotage the talks by placing China as a problem within the Russia-Ukraine conflict and this overall Ukraine crisis. And I find that quite interesting, and you should too. And the reason for that is because the United States right now is doing a whole lot around the Russia-Ukraine crisis, which is creating an overall world crisis, a global crisis. The sanctions, the bans on all things Russia, the escalation militarily, these talks of a no-fly zone, you actually have the threat of global economic collapse and possibly nuclear war being discussed, not only being discussed openly, but having the policies put into place by the United States to make this happen, right? So while the U.S. and NATO are saying, oh, 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 no-fly zone is too much, they're not going so far. They are also facilitating this economic strangulation of Russia, which is in turn creating a scenario of strangulation for the overall economy for a lot of countries, not just Europe and the United States, but particularly Europe and the United States, right? So Joe Biden is in this, I, I feel like what his administration has been characterized by, this stagnation, being sandwiched between what we call in the mental health world a double bind. That no matter where you go, right, no matter what you feel is the preferred scenario for you, if you're an individual, each one of them leads to an outright negative. And while there are, of course, beneficiaries to any direction that you go in, right, maybe it's you, maybe it's the people you love, maybe it's whatever you say, uh, whatever, maybe it's the overall general situation for you, you still don't feel better. And that's because you're in a double bind. You don't have, you, you don't feel like you have any options. And I feel like Joe Biden's administration has been characterized by these stark limitations, right? The stark limitations to the ability to govern. So it just creates a bind, no matter how appealing a policy may look. Yeah, let's strangle Russia. Let's bring its economy to quote unquote heal, right? That's that's that Clinton kind of like thinking, which is dominant among 
the Biden section of the ruling class. Yeah, let's bring Russia to its knees. Oops. Actually, you do that and you are actually bringing the global economy to its knees. So China, because China, the United States understands China is insulated from this. China does not have to sacrifice so much. China does not believe in unilateral economic sanctions against other countries, so it won't participate in them. China rightfully believes them to be an act of war, so China is insulated from the impacts of sanctions. Russia-China relations will continue on and get stronger because of Russia's isolation from the West. But also, China's economy is structured in its own right to be able to evade and escape the worst excesses of the global capitalist market. So while global capitalism experiences cyclical crises based on what Marx talked about, this overproduction, this underconsumption, this inherent contradiction of capitalism that you can only exploit the working class, you can only plunder so much before you have an excess of capital and excess of markets they and ultimately capitalists are put in a position where they have to slice the bottom they have to bottom out and that's when the crash happens and that's where the unemployment happens that's where the corporations begin to fold and monopoly the concentration of capital speeds up at a rapid pace and you have negative growth or stagnant growth, right? That is the inherent contradictions of capitalism that China has not experienced in this 40 plus years of neoliberal hell that we have endured over the last few generations, right? So China is able to, because public ownership is its mainstay, public ownership is its crux, is its foundation, China is able to restructure, reorient financial investments. It's able to publicly support people. It's able to ensure that its economy remains on stable foundations. I mean, how many times did you hear over the last year that China's economy was going to collapse because of a credit crisis, because of real estate is out of control and it never happens you have gordon chang every single year it seems saying china is going to collapse it's going to happen and it doesn't happen and that's because china's ability to keep the commanding heights of its economy from energy transportation telecommunications you name it land in public hands that gives it a lot of flexibility to absorb the shocks of the capitalist system and to pursue a different trajectory. So while capitalist economies in 2008 were kicking people out of their homes, kicking people out of their jobs, China was actually reinvesting in its domestic markets to ensure that whatever losses were occurring globally would not have the same kind of effects and it worked china continued to grow it did not see this huge dip it did not see negative growth it actually continued to grow at a very fast pace so the united states knows this the united states knows 
that sanctions against Russia will not hinder China. It also understands China's elevating and rising role in the overall global economy, one that is actually unthreatened by the U.S.'s decline. Actually, China's opportunities only increase the more that the United States shows that it is nothing to offer but war and austerity. So when the United States puts itself in its own kind of double bind, no matter what it does, no sanctions on Russia, sanctions on Russia, the effect remains the same. The United States doesn't have much to offer. China benefits. And so the Biden administration is very concerned about this because one, there's midterm elections coming up. 2024 is not that far away. And there are a lot of considerations here. There's both how Joe Biden's administration deals with the Ukraine crisis, which will be a huge part of its legacy now. And there's also how Joe Biden's administration, given its Indo-Pacific strategy and the America Competes Act and all of these moves to try to, quote unquote, contain China and level the so-called competitive playing field against the autocracies of the world. All of that will also be huge for Joe Biden's so-called legacy. So they are concerned. Joe Biden's camp is very concerned about China. And so what happened then? So they started a rumor about China supplying weapons, and it was fake news. So there's nothing really much else to say other than it was fake news. China reiterated its position. No, we are not supplying weapons to Russia. We are taking a position of neutrality. We are maintaining relations with both countries. We are not going to unilaterally sanction Russia for its actions. And we are going to attempt to play a role in a peace process. So the media was all over this, right? And I'm just going to share a few things before we get started. Uh, the first thing, okay, is, as I was saying before, Jake Sullivan raises concerns. Here it is. Jake Sullivan raises Russia concerns in meeting with Chinese officials. So this is exactly what I was saying. That a discussion that addressed in part Russia's invasion of Ukraine during the seven-hour meeting occurred where he warned that China would face consequences for supporting Russia. So this not only has to do with supporting Russia militarily, but it also has to do with economic support, right? Russia has sought military and economic support from China amid Ukraine's invasion. The senior administration official declined to directly address those reports. So we don't know who the senior administration official, right? So we always get these this anonymity, and that likely means it's U.S. intelligence. So we have deep concerns about China's alignment with Russia at this time, and the National Security Advisor was direct about those concerns and the potential implications and consequences of certain actions, right? So Pasaki then said Sullivan communicated that China would face significant consequences if the country provided military or other support that violates sanctions or supports the war effort. But she declined to give specific information about those consequences. 
So there you go, already threats, right? That's what the United States was doing in the lead up and in the aftermath of Jake Sullivan's meeting with Yang Jiaxi, already setting the tone about how the United States wants to approach China. It wants to place China in an enemy camp and to claim that it can punish China for violating U.S. sanctions, which objectively is quite impossible. And the reason why is because if we thought Russia was integrated in the global capitalist economy, China is by far more integrated. China is so integrated that the shocks that China would, that the United States would incur from any kind of economic strangulation of China would be monumental. And China has a socialist economy at its base. It has a communist party. It has nationalized industries. It has things that the United States does not. So China can withstand a lot, right? China is a world leader in a lot of different areas economically. And a lot of that is based on its own technical know-how, what it was able to garner through what it says has been this win-win cooperation, this move toward globalization, not in the <clears throat> corporate globalization sense as we know the word, but how China sees it as mutual relationships with other countries economically that actually bring immense benefits to Chinese society. And that's what China has, which the United States does not. The United States use globalization as an opportunity to gut the economy. That's what Wall Street wanted. Wall Street wanted the United States economy to be gutted. So it said, wow, globalization is a great opportunity. After the Soviet Union, socialism is at its weakest. We're going to globalize, quote unquote, by essentially gutting the internal domestic industrial capitalist economy in the United States, send it abroad to low-wage havens where we can suppress wages and we can make super profits and thus increase the value of our investments no matter what they are. And that will be the model from which we thrive and profit as a, as a system. Well, China said, okay, globalization is also an opportunity for us. We're a low-wage country. We are currently making low-value-added goods. This is an opportunity to integrate and reap the technological and productive benefits of the world economy. And that's what China did. And it has been able to thus increase the standard of living by investing in Chinese society, investing in infrastructure, investing in development, and doing so on the basis of this new term that has been rolled out by the Communist Party of China, Common Prosperity, which I argue has always been a part of China's overall trajectory. But now there's a huge emphasis on it with the accomplishment of certain key markers and achievements like the elimination of extreme poverty. So with that said, we had this meeting occur between Jishi, Yang Jishi, and Jake Sullivan, which only worsened, I think, the tensions between the two countries. Because China really did go into it with an attitude that they wanted to address mutual concerns and hopefully come out with momentum, if not an actual concrete 
plan to strengthen relations between the two countries, strengthen their role in the world, get essentially a better and more stable grasp of things instead of what has been the case over the last several years, which has been this move toward quote-unquote decoupling, which under existing global conditions has significant consequences everywhere, right? It had consequences for China, both positive and negative, and mainly just negative consequences for the United States. But nonetheless, it is not beneficial for China to be in a new Cold War environment because of all the dangers that it portends. So China really wants to end that situation and uses every opportunity to try. And it usually doesn't go anywhere because the United States right now, given that it's making these kind of threats, is showing that it is not interested in diplomacy. It is not interested in a stable U.S.-China relationship. It's interested in using China as a political chip in this larger process. And China is not a chip. China cannot be bullied. And it is just a real, it's a failed philosophy. It's a failed political uh, policy. It is just really just a failure, right? The United States comes out just looking like a sour bully. And we moved on after this conversation between Sullivan and Yang Jishi to four days later, Joe Biden and Xi Jinping coming together. So they came together. And I'm going to actually put up the uh, China's kind of a call. They, they do kind of these reports on the call. And it's from a blog, Picking Knowledge, which is an interesting blog. And this is just China's readout of the Xi-Biden video call. All right. So this just summarizes what was talked about to help give us some idea of what is happening here. So the two presidents, I'm just going to start here. So they spoke on March 18th by video call at the request of Joe Biden. The two presidents had a candidate in-depth exchange of views on U.S.-China relationship relations, the situation in Ukraine, and other issues of mutual interest. President Biden said that 50 years ago, the U.S. and China made an important choice of the Shanghai uh, issuing the Shanghai communique. 50 years on, the U.S.-China relationship has once again come to a critical time. How this relationship develops will shape the world in the 21st century. Biden reiterated that the U.S. does not seek a new Cold War with China. It does not aim to change China's system. The revitalization of its alliances is not targeted at China. The U.S. does not support Taiwan independence, and it has no intention to seek a conflict with China. So this is really interesting. Biden supposedly says that he's not for a Cold War. He's not trying to recognize, quote unquote, Taiwan independence. He's not trying to change the system. The United States is not for any of that, supposedly. Yet, everything that the United States does toward China seems to indicate the opposite. And China's foreign ministry has repeatedly said that. That the U.S.'s words are pretty hollow when the United States continues to militarize the Asia-Pacific, sending its warships, its military forces, continues to build bases in countries that surround China continues to engage in economic sabotage and warfare, continues 
to attempt to diplomatically isolate China, to blame China for its own problems, to make China out as the enemy in the Russia-Ukraine crisis, and actually facilitating billions, tens of billions, hundreds of billions in arms sales, well, hundreds of billions, but uh, billions worth in arms sales to Taiwan, all of which seems to indicate that everything that Biden said here is not true. But to move on, the U.S. is ready to have candid dialogue and closer cooperation with China, stay committed to the one China policy, and effectively manage competition and disagreements to ensure the steady growth of the relationship. So a lot of vagary here, a lot of things that you kind of have to say unless you're trying to engage in an act of diplomatic warfare. So he said he's ready to stay in touch with President Xi to set the direction for the relationship. So President Xi noted that major developments in the international landscape since their first virtual meeting last November have changed. The prevailing trend of peace and development is facing serious challenges. The world is neither tranquil nor stable. As permanent members of the UN Security Council and the world's two leading economies, China and the US must not only guide their relations forward along the right track, but also should shoulder their share of international responsibilities for and work for world peace and tranquility. Much more reasonable there, not making promises that obviously aren't being kept, which Joe Biden did. So President Xi stressed that he and Biden share the view that China and the U.S. need to respect each other, coexist in peace and avoid confrontation, and that the two sides should increase communication and dialogue at all levels and in all fields. President Biden has just reiterated that the U.S. does not seek a new Cold War with China to change China's system or to revitalize alliances against China, and that the U.S., does not support Taiwan independence or to seek conflict with China. I take these remarks very seriously, said Xi, which is true. He should take it seriously because, right? It's like, that's your notice. You're, you're saying you're going to do these things. So let's see if you do them. And I don't think there's any reservations among Xi Jinping or anyone in the Central Committee, in the Politburo, or in the National Assembly, anywhere in China's governance system that has reserve, any reservations about whether the U.S. will do these things or not. I think there's a big understanding, and recent polls show, even among young people in the society, there's a really a low viewpoint in China of the United States and its trustworthiness. So this is diplomacy, what we're seeing here. President Xi pointed out that the U.S.-China relationship, instead of getting out of the predicament created by a previous U.S. administration, has encountered a growing number of challenges. What's worth noting in particular is that some people in the U.S. I love I love this kind of part of the readout because this is very typical, right? Because China is not trying to make waves, but they need to say that it's happening. So they usually say some people in the U.S. have sent a wrong signal to Taiwan independence forces. This is very dangerous. Mishandling of the Taiwan question will have a disruptive impact on the bilateral ties. China hopes that the U.S. will give a due attention to this issue. The direct cause for the current situation in the China-U.S. relationship is that some people on the U.S. side have not followed through on important common understandings reached by the two presidents and have not acted on President Biden's positive statements. The U.S. has perceived and miscalculated the strategic intention. President Xi underscored that there have been and will continue to be differences between China and the U.S. What matters is to keep such differences under control. A steadily growing relationship is in the interest of both sides. So here's some. So now they go into the Ukraine situation. And so there's more to this because China is not, again, 
This is a diplomatic readout. So they're not going over all the details, actually. I mean, this call lasted for more than a few hours. So obviously, right, this isn't the whole transcript. And so China does leave things out for the purpose of diplomacy. And here you have a very short, this is, this is why having a critical eye is important, a very short summary of what President Biden said about Ukraine. He expanded on the U.S. position and expressed readiness for communication with China to prevent the situation from exacerbating. There's more that's actually a lot more harmful than that that we will get into after this. So President Xi pointed out that China does not want to see the situation in Ukraine come to where it is. China stands for peace and is opposed to war. This is embedded in China's history and culture. China makes a conclusion independently based on the merits of each matter. China advocates upholding international law and universally recognized norms of governing international relations. China adheres to the U.S. UN Charter and promotes the vision of common, comprehensive, cooperative, and sustainable security. These are the major principles that underpin China's approach to the Ukraine crisis. China has put forward a six-point initiative on the humanitarian situation in Ukraine and is ready to provide further assistance to Ukraine and other effective country, affected countries. All sides need to jointly support Russia and Ukraine in having dialogue and negotiation that will produce results and lead to peace. The U.S. and NATO should also have dialogue with Russia to address the crux of the Ukraine crisis and ease the security concerns of both Russia and Ukraine. So then they go into COVID-19, the economy. It takes two to tango. It takes two hands to clap, right? Ensuring that there are losses, creating conditions for peace and negotiation and to avoid a cold war. So, right, we don't need to get into any more of this. But what's important to note here is the difference between how Joe Biden and Xi Jinping talk, how the U.S. and China talks. The U.S. always talks in a vague manner that makes tepid promises, says things like, we are not seeking a new Cold War. We don't want conflict. We're not trying to change your system, right? So a lot of this is still centering around this hegemony, this imperialism, this trying to deflect from deflect claims, but not making any promises toward cooperation, toward very strict and specific policies. But you notice there when Xi Jinping gave, when the readout of what Xi Jinping said was very concrete. We adhere to international law. We adhere to those principles. We have a six-point initiative to support Ukraine. We do X, we do Y, we do Z, right? And so China calls this within its whole process democracy, outcome-based democracy, right? So there's the process-based democracy of people participating, people deliberating, people doing things, and then how that leads to outcomes, right? So when China is talking about these high-level diplomatic negotiations, they're not just talking about here is what we're trying not to do, what we hope will happen. No, they're saying we are going to adhere to X, Y, and Z. We will do it. So that's a big difference, right? It's a big difference. People don't really recognize this. People have these jingoistic, racist understandings of China. So they think that China is just like this robotic, authoritarian nightmare. But really, 
what you see in these readouts and diplomatic statements are affirmative statements, not written in any kind of passive tone that are about what China will do because the debate, the decision-making that has been done. And now the steps, the action steps are going to be taken. So it's a huge difference between the two and why you often see China actually being very proactive, regardless of what it is, if it's international affairs, if it's in within their own country, being very proactive in making changes. So Joe Biden's participation in this call was very political. It was very much about, okay, what can we what can we get from this? What can we get from China? What can we do to assert our position over China? How can we manipulate? How can we passively avoid and evade to come out looking like we're on top? And it's just so cynical and ridiculous. But this is the state of U.S. politics in a lot of ways. And I'm going to share actually what China did not put in their readout, but I think is important because the U.S. media reported on it. Uh, and I think it's important to talk about this is what happened after the call. And of course, they're not going to put this in the readout also because it didn't happen during the call. But I think during the call, there were also warnings. So here we go. Reuters says, after Biden, she called U.S. warns China it could face sanctions if it backs Russia in Ukraine. So here we go again. They're bringing up the same rumor, right, that China is going to support Russia in its military operation against Ukraine. Biden tells she, China, would face costs from the U.S. and wider world. And she says sanctions could trigger economic crisis and global economy. And so... Oh, I guess I reached my article limit. I could put this in the uh, archive, but I won't. I just wanted to say that that's, that that did happen, right? So the United States once again said that there would be consequences for China, even after this diplomatic conversation happened, right? So there is this move politically, and it's really driven by the militarists, the hegemonists, the imperialists. It's driven by them to essentially... Um, paint China out to be the problem. And so I just wanted to point that out, that this is a really important part of the conversation. I also want to apologize if you can hear those car alarms. I live right next to a parking garage. <laughs> and I think the door, the window is open in the bedroom. So I don't live in a huge apartment. So anyway, this is the state of U.S. politics. It's bullyism. It's belligerence. Somebody put it. Connie Reed put it here. She said such belligerence. That's exactly what it is. This is belligerence hands down. It is about bullyism. It's about trying to gain more leverage in a situation that has a risk of deteriorating very quickly. And that is the U.S.'s role in this Russia-Ukraine conflict. We're already seeing it economically. And it only spells political problems for the Biden administration if it cannot get a handle on the overall world situation that is being affected by the Russia-Ukraine conflict and the U.S.'s decision to go full speed ahead 
with very damaging economic sanctions and other measures that essentially place the world economy at huge risk.